Well, I think there are two Sundays that every self-respecting Christian should try to avoid being in church. The first is whenever the pastor feels led to preach on the subject of tithing. That's really a good one to miss if you really don't want to be bothered with the foundational truths of walking with Jesus. The second Sunday any believer should try to avoid is whenever the pastor feels somehow compelled to preach from any of the 23 separate genealogies from the Bible. You know what I'm talking about? Those long stretches of names about who begat whom over the past 6,000 years. I always feel like a little happiness when I'm like on a reading through the Bible plan and I come to those, I turn the page and there it is. It's kind of a free pass. You know, I, I just sort of glance over them, gloss over them and I get done quicker. I, I don't really feel any compulsion to read them with any detail because, well, two reasons. One, I first of all, I know that I won't remember them. <laughs> and the second is, I don't really think there's anything there that's going to help me be a better husband or keep me from flipping people off on 270. So <laughs> I just kind of move on to the next, next passage. I figure I don't really need it. So tithing and genealogies are the two Sundays you should always try to miss if you can figure out how to get wind of their coming. And well, today I have good news and bad news. And the good news is that it's not Money Sunday. <laughs> In fact, if anything, I should pause to thank you. To thank you, so many of you who are so faithful to bring your tithes and offerings to the work of the Lord here. You really make that part of, of leading here so much, so much easier. Thank you. And now for the bad news, please turn in your Bibles to Matthew 1, 1 through 6. Matthew 1, 1 through 6. That's the first page of the New Testament for those of you who are newer. And there we read a record of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers. And some of you are going, is he really going to read it? Judah, the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. Perez, the father of Hezron. Hezron, the father of Ram. Ram, the father of Aminadab. Aminadab, the father of Neshon. Neshon, the father of Salmon. Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Obed, the father of Jesse. And Jesse, the father of King David. Lord, uh, we come to you with some anticipation that you want to speak to us in every part of your Bible, that there was nothing in there accidentally or extraneously, and that you, you got something to say to us today, even in this. So we invite your presence and your power. We love you, Lord, and we invite you to come and to bring this to the intersection of our life now in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, last week I, I started a series of messages called The Power of Your Life because I believe that inside of each and every one of you is power. That resident within you 
is power, that God has put something inside of you that needs to get out for his honor and glory and for the fulfillment of the purpose of your life. And I told you we were going to subtitle this series, A Study in the Life of King David, because I wanted, I felt led, really, to use uh, the life of King David as a model for this uh, concept that I want to share with you. And last week we saw that King David, you know, he enters the scene, he's pulled out of kind of obscurity as a shepherd, and he's anointed by Samuel to be the next king over Israel, from shepherd to king, and the journey begins for him, that he's out there keeping the sheep, but there's a power, there's something inside of him that God wants to get out, and so he begins a process to bring that out. And that's where the genealogy will figure into our discussion here in just a few few moments. But the Bible is clear in showing us that as children of God who are bought by the blood of Christ, indwelt by the word of God and filled with his Holy Spirit, we have an incredible power and influence living inside of each one of us. A hundred times at least I'm sure we've visited this verse where Jesus said, I tell you the truth, if anyone has faith in me, he'll do what I've been doing. He'll do even greater things than these because I'm going to the Father. And uh, we as believers, uh, we have chosen to believe these things to be true that's a choice we have made, and we're acting it out then, walking it out. And uh, it was my thought last week, after introducing this and showing you from 1 Samuel 16, it was my thought last week that we would move on to the next chapter. I was pretty excited about that message because it's the one where David kills Goliath, and that's just always a lot of, a lot of exciting things to talk about there. And I, I'm pretty sure we will get there, but there's been an important interruption in the progress and the flow of this series that I think... Um, I think is an important step for us to take before we get to the next one. Uh, if you were here, you may remember last week that I said that, not, that we're not all called to be kings, right? You know, we're using David as a model. We run a great risk here in using David as a model to extract this power from our lives going, yeah, but how many, ki- how many get to be kings? We talked about, do we, do we uh, or talked about the idea that we're not, certainly not all called to be kings, and so the question I think I want to move with today is, is it okay to be Obed? <laughs> is it okay to be Obed? Since we're not all called to be kings, is it okay to be Obed? Well, who is Obed? Well, if you read down through the genealogy, you see on the bottom it says, Obed the father of Jesse. And Jesse was the father of David. And Obed kind of sits there in between Ruth and Boaz. Wow. And Jesse and David and Obed kind of sits there like a placeholder. Is it okay to be Obed? I mean, is that, is that a life worthy of the call of God? Well, what's the importance of a genealogy in a Bible anyway? Genealogy is a list of, it's a mixture of the Hall of Famers and those, you know, the Bible Hall of Famers and the the people who lived in virtual obscurity, but together made the trail to Jesus. And if you think about the genealogies in the Gospels, and by Gospels, if you're new, we mean Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the first four books of the New Testament. You'll see that two of the Gospels don't even have a genealogy. Mark and John don't even have, don't even include one. Luke... He's, he waits till the third chapter to put his genealogy in. And his is a little bit different in nature, not in content, but in nature. He goes all the way back to Adam. Matthew 
He's, he comes right straight out of the gate. The first words of the New Testament are the genealogy. You say, well, what's the difference? Why would they do those things? It might help to think about the purpose of the four Gospels. And there are various ways that said. One, I think one of the most helpful ways to think about the purpose of each of the four Gospels is that Matthew wrote for the Jews. The primary audience of the Gospel of Matthew were Jewish people. Mark wrote for the Romans. Luke wrote for the Greeks. And you think about the detail in Luke's Gospel compared to others and the way the Greeks were. And John, it is said, wrote for the church. John wrote in John 20, 31, these things are written that you may believe and that by believing you may have life in his name. And if you think about the nature of each of the four different Gospels, it helps to see why, for example, Mark wouldn't include a genealogy. Mark wrote for the Romans. They didn't care where Jesus came from. They just needed to be persuaded that there's someone to pay attention to here, someone that they crucified. Now, now now, Now, what are you saying? John doesn't really need to include a genealogy. Why? Because he wrote for the church. We're already past that as the church. When you come into company of Jesus Christ, when you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, all the details take on a whole different significance. You know, there's nothing like being in the company of Jesus to be persuaded that he's Messiah, right? It's a powerful encounter. And so while the details have a relative importance, they don't have... Uh, the power of convincing you because you're already convinced. You fall in love with your wife, gentlemen, and you discover who you fell in love with as you go along. You don't need to be convinced. You discover the wonder of who she is as you go along, right? It's kind of like that with John. Luke wrote for the Greeks, and so he can wait a little while to give the genealogy because he needs to get their attention more quickly, and he's got their attention, and they go, no, wait, what? No, Now, where did this guy come from? That's how Greeks think. But the Jews, the Jews, they needed to know right. Among the things that were so critically important for the Jews to know was the heritage of Messiah. In Genesis twenty-two eighteen, God spoke to Abraham and he said, through you all nations will be blessed. And that's really the headwater of the blessing, the messianic blessing for all time. He said, through you all, 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 all generations, all nations will be blessed from your seed, he said. He said in that passage, you know, yeah, I know, look at who you are, but your, your descendants will be too numerous to count. He said they'll be more numerous than the sand on the seashore. And through your seed, all, all nations will be blessed. And that was, that was a messianic prophecy of Jesus. And so the Jews clung to this, that they had to be able to trace the heritage of Jesus back to Abraham, or don't even bother, you know, it's like, let's just start there. If you cannot demonstrate that, I don't want to go any further. So does that make sense, why there's a genealogy there? When you read down through this lineage, you recognize at least a few names. The big players, of course, like Abraham, and Isaac, and Jacob, and maybe you grab Boaz, and Ruth, and Jesse. These are definitely the Hall of Famers. But what about the rest? You know how this works, you Buckeyes. You know how this works. I mean, there are are certain figures in Buckeye history. I could say the first name, and you would automatically give me the last name. I would say Woody, and you would say, say, that's not hard, is it? Not hard at all. I would say Archie, and you would say, good. I knew you could do it. 
I would say AJ, and you would say? I would say Andy, and you would say? Katz and Moyer, very good. I just threw that in because he went to high school with my son. <laughs> we could go outside of Buckeye tradition. <gasps> and I would say Clay, and you would say? <laughs> wow, you guys really live in a very small world, don't you? Ah, <laughs> oh, my goodness. Seriously? <laughs> Thank you. Good Lord. I think he played in some small school in California or something, maybe. Oh. Are we allowed to talk about other schools? Let's, let's switch to pro. Okay. Let's go back in the Wayback Machine. I would say Roger, and you would say? Starbucks, of course. Starbucks, right? Uh, and his famous coach, Tom. There you go. Thank you. Some of you guys are so glad you came to church today. You didn't <laughs> think there was going to be a thing for you, and you're going, hey, this is all right. You know, the interesting thing about all, all you guys who know so much more about football than I do, will, or care to, uh, I'm sure there are, are a lot of you guys who can name championship teams in various streams of college and pro and stuff. And you could probably name their, you know, their coaches and their quarterbacks or running backs or wide receivers, stuff like that. But I wonder, wonder how many of you could also grab those championship teams and also name the center who played. And some of you could, I realize, but it, it would be like, oh, yeah, that one. And you don't have a championship team if you don't have a good center. You know this, right? You don't have a championship team if you don't have somebody who can do that. Their name tends to sort of evaporate. You remember the quarterbacks. You remember the running backs. You remember the wide receivers. You remember the linebackers. You remember these. But that guy who just puts his head down and up, snaps the ball, and catches heck for the next four seconds. That guy's harder to remember, isn't he? But you don't have a championship team if you don't have a champion center. So is it okay to be Obed? I mean, what about the others in this genealogy? What about Peretz and Tamar and Salmon and Nashon? What about these guys? Aside from being listed in the genealogy, what was their big contribution? And what about Obed, this placeholder between Ruth and Boaz and Jesse and David? Ruth and Boaz, how many of us just love the book of Ruth, right? And that beautiful story of the kinsman redeemer, Boaz, and that picture of Jesus who's coming to redeem us. It's fantastic. It's amazing. And then we have Jesse and his sons, David. Of course we know about them. And then in between, you have Obed. This little bitty Obed. Is it okay to be Obed? I mean, this isn't even the name Obed-Edom. The guy in the other part of the Bible, you know, who the ark came to his house after God killed somebody for touching it. Remember that? That's a man of faith. Obed-Edom. Plus, it's fun to say if you're practicing porky pig, Obed-Edom, Obed-Edom. Obed, that wasn't even that guy. This is a different one. Obed. Obed. Just Obed. 
He's like the forgotten center of the championship team. But you don't have Obed. You don't have Jesse. You don't have Jesse, you don't have David. You don't have David, you don't have Jesus. What did Obed do with his life? We don't know. He's referenced a few times in the Bible as the placeholder. We don't know what he did with his life. Is it really okay? Is it really okay just to be Obed? I mean, some of you are suspicious of preachers, and trust me, I am too. Even me. (laughs) And so I think it would be normal for you to be going, you know, he's just saying that it's okay to be Obed because he needs worker bees. You know? He needs, he needs people to play into the program to do the small things so he can do the big thing. <laughs> I think if you're close to me at all, you know that's not true. My whole goal is to help you figure out what God really wants for you, what's really inside you. My whole goal. Is it really okay? How many times have we visited Ephesians 2.10? We have a version of it right up there, that we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God has prepared in advance for us to do. That Charlie, you know, God has prepared things for you to do. Yeah. And he's, he's prepared that for you. And you to do that is as essential as anyone doing anything. Is it okay to be open? I mean, we talk about extracting this power. Are we really calling everybody to be King David's? Or does somebody call to be Obed? God has a plan for you. And the two, uh, I think the two big obstacles in discovering this plan is not recognizing that God's plan for you is not your impersonation of another person. It's not. It's your plan. It's your world. It's your call. It's your gifting. It's your anointing. It's your world. It's your environment. It's your family. It's your workplace. It's your neighborhood. It's you. And it's not to impersonate another, but to enter into intimacy with God through His Son, Jesus Christ, and live out what's happening in your world. And I think the other thing that we really have to struggle with in America is that your value to God is not determined by your productivity. We're, we're so production-oriented as a culture. What, 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 what's happening? What, what's the benefit of that? What's the result of that? What's, what's the product of that? Your value to God is based on your essential personhood. Your son and daughter of the living God. When you get beyond that, I, I need to impress God with my productivity then you can start to center in to your Obaditis. Okay. Obed, I love this, comes from the root of the Hebrew word Obed, which means servant. You've got to love that. Obed, as a Hebrew word, means serving. That continuous ask. Well, who is Obed? If you're saying it's okay, he was a servant. He was just serving. He was just doing in front of him what God put in front of him to do. He didn't get to be king, but he was as essential as the king because he lived his life serving. Now, here's a really fun coincidence, I think. And it's a coincidence, but it's still fun. 
that the, the name that we're saying Obed in Hebrew is properly pronounced Obeyed. Obeyed. You gotta love that. What's the power of his life? He obeyed. <laughs> Coincidence, I know I'm pushing the language envelope there. But his name does mean servant. <laughs> and I think the power of your life will be diminished if it comes from any place other than simple obedience to the call of God on your life. And you're tempted to say, but what will it matter then? So what? What will it matter? You know, if I don't, if I'm not a king, if I don't have huge influence, what will it matter if I'm obedient or not? If you read through the Hall of Famers in the Bible, you see that their lives, they became Hall of Famers by being obedient, by being obedient to the daily thing that was in front of them. We'll see next week. I'm so excited, you know. I hope next week, anyway. David goes to, up against Goliath, and he goes in Saul's armor because he's going to be Saul. And he goes, I can't, I, I, can't, I, I can't do this. I am not you. He takes it off and picks up five little stones, and maybe I will preach that right now. It matters. So many examples of the Hall of Famers are just examples of simple obedience. And think of the bloodshed in the world today because of the great Abraham disobeyed God. And brought the son Esau into the world, or Ishmael into the world, while waiting for God to fulfill his promise. He was kind of nudging God along a little, going, I got this, God. I got this. It's about trusting God, because obedience centers on one thing. It centers on trust. Do you trust God enough to be content to do the things that are in front of you to do with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength? It's likely that many, if not most of you, have heard some version or another of the starfish story. But I can't think of a better way to set our hearts on what I believe the Lord's saying to us today than to share it with you now. It goes something like this. There are several versions. A young man was walking along the ocean and saw a beach on which thousands and thousands of starfish had washed ashore. Further along, he saw an old man walking slowly and stooping often, picking up one starfish after another and tossing each one gently into the ocean. Why are you throwing starfish into the ocean, he asked. The old man replied, because the sun is up and the tide is going out, and if I don't throw them further in, they will die. But old man, don't you realize there are miles and miles of beach and starfish all along it? You can't possibly save them all. In fact, even if you work all day, what difference will it really make? The old man listened calmly and then bent down to pick up another starfish and threw it into the sea. And then he turned to the young man and said, it made a difference to that one. It's okay to be Obed. It's good to be Obed. It's important. It's critical to be Obed. I told you last week, I hope, what I hope was a helpful story about a Bible that I had that was given to me as a boy. I told you about the power of that person just giving me the Bible when I was nine. and I told you about Reverend Weirbach, the Methodist Church in Canoga Park, California. I told you how I was compelled to see if Reverend Weirbach could possibly still be alive and just learned 
that he just passed away in January in his 90s, but his widow, Nancy, was still alive. I think I told you that I wrote her a letter. I just told her how grateful I was. Told her about all of you. And that I would never expect her to remember, certainly me or my family. We were so sporadic and obscure. But that because of their faithfulness, all this has come. Dear Tom. Glad to see she didn't write Tommy. I was afraid she would have remembered me. <laughs> it warmed my heart to read your letter. Bob and I enjoyed our years in Canoga Park. And I still keep in touch. Most my age are gone, but there are younger ones with whom I have kept contact. And she goes on. And she just goes on for a little bit about what a blessing it was to be remembered. And I was just being Obed because they had just been Obed just doing what was in front of them to do. You want to discover your greatness, don't you? I want you to discover your greatness and your power. It's okay to be Obed. It's good to be Obed. Father, we bow before you now. In this place, this time, we're so grateful for your love and your mercy and your grace and your strength. We're so grateful that you're real, that this is true that there's a heaven after this, and that there's a Holy Spirit to know now. We're so grateful that Jesus is our confidence, that his work on the cross completely cancels all of our sin as we trust in him. We're so grateful, Lord, that you have opened a door for us to know you and have a way to heaven. We're so grateful for the word of God, which comes to life. Even the genealogies have meaning for us. We're so grateful, God, that you have placed within us a resident power as created beings and as recreated in Christ and filled with your word and your spirit. And we're so grateful, Lord, that you have a glory that you have planted within us that you want to extract from us, that you have a purpose. We're so grateful that it's not too early and it's not too late to be thinking about these things and pressing in and saying, God, what, what is it that's in front of me to do today? I thank you for every person here, Lord. And you know that Karen and I are grateful for every person who calls this place their church home. With all that's good about this place and all that isn't, Lord, we just thank you for them and pray the power of the Holy Spirit to come into this room right now to bless and draw and encourage every person in their walk with you. They would know that whatever they set their hand to that is called by you has eternal significance. That if we give a cup of cold water to a little child in Jesus' name, that we give it to you. And Father God, I just pray that you would release everyone in this hearing from the, from the lie of Satan, from the lie of productivity and promotion and advancement. And show us, O oh God, that even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Oh Lord, that we would be counted among that number that you would show us where the bottom of our pile is, that you would show us the feet that we're intended to wash, 
that you would show us, oh Lord, that you would show us, oh Lord, the boy in front of us, that you intend for us just to give him a Bible, just to be faithful to the thing that you have called us to do. We invite you, Lord. We invite you, Lord, to come. To make sense of this series of messages, to work deeply within us, to bring about the perfect result that you have in mind for your honor and glory. In Jesus' name. Amen.